0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. U.S. credit isn't what it used to be. Now, for the second time, a major credit rating agency has downgraded U.S. debt. And while there's not much evidence that lawmakers in charge of federal purse strings will change their spendy behavior, there is growing agreement that one way to weather the political storm that might emerge from voting for spending restraint is to create a BRAC-like commission aimed at stabilizing U.S. debt. Cato's Romina Baccia explains.
1: This is, as you said, this is the second time in U.S. history that one of the three major credit rating agencies has downgraded the U.S. debt. The downgrade itself is fairly modest, going from AAA, which is the highest possible rating attainable, to AA+. So even with this downgrade, Fitch is still saying that the United States has very strong capacity to meet its financial commitments, but they are signaling that they do have concerns on on three fronts. One, the uh, huge accumulation in additional deficits projected over the next three years and beyond. And the governance issues, as they describe it, basically a lack of confidence that U.S politicians in the budget process are capable of handling upcoming budget deadlines in a reasonable way, and more importantly, addressing the unsustainable growth in U.S. spending and debt uh, in the future. One big way to think about this is, you know, these rating agencies do consider the Congressional Budget Outlook the same way that we do, and the latest one uh, projects an abysmal budget path. One way to look at it is, Under current projections, we would be accumulating more than a hundred trillion in additional deficits over the next thirty years. To put that in context, over the entire history of the United States up until now, we've accumulated about one-third of that. 32 trillion. So that is a massive, a staggering amount of debt that's not clear that financial markets are going to be willing to absorb, but that's what it's going to take if US lawmakers refuse to reform entitlements.
0: So compare this to I don't know, credit ratings on something like Coca-Cola or Ford or some other, you know, blue-chip company.
1: You know, I haven't actually looked at corporate ratings, but I did look at other country ratings, and the United States rating is now below Switzerland, for example, which has a very strong currency. A relatively balanced budget and has been significantly reducing its debt in recent years with the Swiss debt break, which I think is a very promising uh, tool that the United States should consider adopting. Something else that the Swiss have that we should copy is they actually account and pay for their emergency spending. You know, a lot of the run-up in the debt came as a direct result of stimulus spending during the Great Recession. And then, you know, really hitting the pedal hard on pandemic-era spending. And now we're at a time where debt is as large as our gross domestic product and, and growing from there. And what the Swiss do is they say, okay, yes, emergencies do happen, but that spending isn't free. So we're going to reduce future budgets in order to pay back that emergency spending. And that's what's lacking in the United States, that willingness to pay down the debt when the emergency is over. In terms of where we are now, we're on par with Austria now when it comes to credit ratings. So that's something to keep in mind.
0: And how do you evaluate the concerns about people who say, hey, this this keeps happening, the U.S. will lose its World Reserve currency status?
1: I do see this as a long-term risk, but still to this day, The U.S. dollar is used in about 90% of global transactions and um, still is the primary reserve currency. As long as there isn't a suitable competitor, the U.S. will continue to enjoy low interest rates and high dollar demand. So in many ways, this is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because despite our unsustainable fiscal situation and Now the second downgrade in the U.S. credit rating, the United States continues to enjoy fairly low interest rates on treasury bonds, and basically it seems unlimited ability to borrow, though I do think we will find that there is a hard limit. We just don't know exactly where that is.
0: So in evaluating the unfunded obligations that the federal government has assumed has created, we're talking about Entitlements. We're talking about Medicare and Social Security.
1: So, the Treasury produces a financial report of the United States government that looks at the next 75 years, so really long term. And the most recent report they identified that the long term unfunded obligations are about $80 trillion in present value terms, which means that's the amount of money that the US government would need to invest today at current interest rates in order to cover that uh, fiscal gap without cutting spending and without raising taxes. Now, $80 trillion is about two and a half times the U.S. gross domestic product. So that's a large amount of money that the United States does not have available to invest today. However, of that $80 trillion in unfunded obligations, 95%, so about 70% $6 trillion of that, is Medicare and Social Security. And of those unfunded obligations, Medicare makes up two-thirds and then Social Security the other third. So what that tells you is if Medicare and Social Security make up 95% of total unfunded obligations, there literally is no way to resolve the future debt crisis without entitlement reform. It is not possible to leave those programs untouched.
0: You have advocated here and elsewhere the idea of a BRAC, which is BRAC is an acronym for Base Realignment and Closures in the Defense Department. But the idea is to put before Congress a clear soup to nuts spending agenda that would insulate them from some of the political costs of having to take highly unpopular discrete votes on individual programs and allow them to vote for a package that would stabilize and eventually, we hope, reduce the national debt. How, how, how far does this take us toward making that a more realistic possibility?
1: You know, both Standard and Poor's, when they downgraded the U.S. in 2011, and by the way, they never reversed that downgrade, and now Fitch both mentioned increasing polarization in Congress and governance issues and a lack of confidence by these rating agencies that Congress and the executive would be able to resolve um, these unfunded obligations because of the political issues this presents, the incentive problems with members of Congress being primarily concerned about the next election and the gridlock that we're seeing on these issues as a result. A base realignment and closure style Fiscal Commission, I think, would be a very promising in overcoming that political gridlock. There is some interest in Congress for this now. House Speaker McCarthy indicated his support, and there's now a bipartisan fiscal forum. They call themselves the BFFs, which I think is kind of cute, and they're supporting the idea of a fiscal commission, and I'm working with uh, these groups across the aisle to to put some bones on that proposal and some meat on those bones as well. And that is, how do we z- design this commission so it isn't just another fig leaf commission? You know, we had plenty of failed commissions. BRAC was actually successful, and for two reasons, I believe. And one is that the members of the commission were not elected officials. They were independent experts that Congress nominated and confirmed Because if you have politicians on the commission, they're more likely to use it to elevate their own brand and undermine each other rather than work together to find a common solution here. And then the other part, and this is a really key part that I'm still working to help members of Congress wrap their heads around, is they need to actually delegate fast-track authority to this commission or fast-track its proposals. What that would mean is that only the president would take an up-or-down vote. The president is more likely to consider a national perspective. is not as parochial and a, a district-oriented as members of Congress are. Um, and members of Congress would have the option of rejecting the commission proposal, but otherwise it would be self-executing after some period of time where members of Congress could object to it. In the case of BRAC, that was 45 days, so once the president... Agreed to the BRAC Commission proposals, it would be sent to Congress. It would then sit there for 45 days, and members of Congress never had to affirmatively vote for closing any basis, which is really important to overcome the political problem. Instead, they could try to rally support to reject the commission's proposals or simply sit on their hands and it would go into effect. And I think that's what we need to get entitlement reform done. If we ask members of Congress to affirmatively vote for any benefit changes and even some of the tax increases that might be included in such a proposal, I think uh, it's very unlikely to get past the finish line.
0: Romina Bacia directs budget and entitlement policy at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please.